everybody. You're listening to Lessons with Troy, the podcast, an offshoot of my website, LessonsWithTroy.com, where you can find downloadable video lessons for Dobro, Lap Steel, Weisenborn, and Pedal Steel. thought I'd kick off this episode with our featured guest, Orville Johnson, playing his arrangement of The Water is Wide. If you're interested in learning the song, be sure to check out my other website, OnlineLessonVideos.com, where you can find the tablature and a performance track, as well as lots of other teachers teaching lots of other instruments. So without further ado, here's Orville Johnson and his arrangement of The Water is Wide. Thank you. 
Hi, welcome to Lessons with Troy, the podcast. Uh, in today's episode, we're welcoming Orville Johnson to the podcast. And uh, I took a couple classes from him down at Rezo Summit. He's a uh, teacher down there, teaches a lot down there. In addition to, uh, he's taught at the Puget Sound uh, Guitar Workshop. And uh, I'll just read you a little bit from his bio page on his website, which you can find at orvilljohnson.com says that he has appeared on over 400 CDs, movie and video soundtracks, commercials, producing 22 CDs for other artists, hosting, uh, hosted a Roots music radio show, appeared in the 1997 film with Jennifer Jason Lee entitled Georgia. Um, He's been on Jay Leno's Tonight Show, been on the Prairie Home Companion, and a very busy guy. Let's go ahead and welcome all the way from uh, the West Coast, Seattle, Washington, I believe, Orville Johnson. How's it going, Orville? Oh, it's going great. Yes, we are in Seattle, Washington on this end. Um, you know, we got something in common. Um, mm-hmm. I was reading through your bio here, and it says that you were born and raised in Edwardsville, Illinois. Is that right? That's right. Right down the road from you. <laughs> right down. Yeah, I live in Bethalto, Illinois, which is literally like... Uh, 20 minutes from Edwardsville. I went to school at Edwardsville at SIUE, uh, studied jazz guitar there with Rick Hayden. I don't know if you uh, remember Rick Hayden or the... I do. I think he was there. You know, I went to SIU. Uh, no way. But in uh, 1970. Okay. Uh, so it's been a while. I remember that name. And uh, I didn't, of course, uh, I didn't graduate. I was an art student. I was an art major. And I went for a couple of years. I took all the art classes, and then I dropped out. No way. <laughs> now, what what did you uh, what were you wanting to do with art? Well, I studied when I was a kid. Uh, before I started playing music, that was my main interest, really, in life. I uh, drew and painted, and uh, I drew comic strips and comic books. Really. And uh, so that's kind of what I that's what I thought I was going to be doing. Now, do you uh, still do any any art drawing and all that uh not very much i mean i do it a little bit and of course i'm always uh involved in any like any of my cds and stuff like that i'm always involved in the design of the cd but i don't do the actual artwork generally speaking so you know i still have an interest in it but i don't do it anywhere you know near as much as i did then well that's really that's really cool i never knew that about you now do you remember uh the Mississippi River Festival when you were when you were living around here. Did you ever- yes, I attended uh, many of those. In fact, that's where I got to see most of the great, uh, you know, rock and blues artists from the late '60s and early '70s. I saw, you know, the band and Janis Joplin and the Who and uh, gosh, it was a huge list of you know everybody that played there. And I played there once myself. Really? Uh, yeah, on a show, a band that I was in played on a show that was uh, it's like a package show that had uh, John Hartford and the Newgrass Revival and who else? Maybe the Country Gentleman. There was like four, you know, contemporary bluegrass bands. It would have been like 1971 or two. Ah, okay. And uh, we kind of opened the show for that. Okay. So that was around the 70s. And then when did you make the transition then from – Let's say Edwardsville is close to the St. Louis area for right. anybody that's uh, uh, wondering where that is. But uh, the St. Louis area, how, how long did you 
play music and everything around there before you you moved to the West Coast then? Oh, until, you know, I started playing in about 1969 or 70. And so I played around the St. Louis area until uh, kind of the end of the 70s. You know, I came out West uh, for the first time in 1977. And then I I lived in Seattle for a few years then. And then... um, in about 1981, I left. I was gone for a few years and lived in some different places and uh, then came back to Seattle in 85, I think. And I've been living here ever since then. Wow. You made it You made it there before the grunge scene kicked in, huh? Oh, yeah. I was here when all that happened. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, man. One of my favorite groups, uh, you know, post uh nirvana let's say the, the foo fighters and, and dave grohl I, I just love his approach to uh to music and and uh you know all that it seems like he'd be a cool guy to hang out with i don't know if you ever met any of those guys dave grohl or any uh, i haven't met dave grohl but i've met you know i know some of the pearl jam guys i know stone gossard and nice. uh, mike mccready and um uh, you know, I've met Eddie better, but I I couldn't I couldn't really say that I I know him. We're not buddies or anything. Yeah, well, how do you like that scene out there now for the for what you're doing with the the folk scene and Dobro and all that? Well, it's great actually. I mean, there's tons of great musicians uh, in this area, and uh, it's um, kind of a center for recording too these days. I mean, there's a lot of studios up here. There's, as uh, you mentioned in my bio, like I played on several movie soundtracks and video soundtracks too. And they uh, often, a lot of the LA productions do their, uh, do their music up here rather than in LA. And uh, so, you know, there's opportunities to do that, that type of thing here. And then just as far as playing, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of venues and festivals and all that sort of thing. And so I play around here and then I travel too. you know, I tour some, but mostly, mostly on the West Coast. I get, I only get back East every now and again. Ah, Okay. So are you, uh, I mean, do you head South down to LA or do you kind of stop around the San Francisco area or that? Uh, You know, all, it depends, you know, I mean, I've, I've played, you know, the length and breadth of California and <laughs> uh, sure. Oregon and Washington and Idaho and, uh, you know, Colorado, kind of that, the Western states, sure, I guess, sure. I should say. Well, very cool. Well, you know, it's funny, your latest album, uh, I just, just last night actually recorded our, uh, another podcast with Alan Akaka, you know, a Hawaiian lap steel player. Yeah. And I never knew this till I got on your your site, you know, doing some research that your latest album is basically a, a Hawaiian album um, with uh, what is that? Hop, Hapa I'm horrible with pronouncing yeah. Hawaiian names, but Hapahali kind of songs, uh, right. uh, Hawaiian songs with English lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at it here, Casey McGill, and uh, mm-hmm. you're tell us a little bit about this album, kind of what, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, the way the album sort of came about was um, my friend Casey McGill, who mm-hmm. uh, on the album, he sings all the tunes, and uh, I sing harmony on some, but he's the lead singer on everything. And he also plays uh, the resonator ukulele uh, as for rhythm. So he's playing that on every song. And uh, we had talked, he and I play together 
uh, some here in the Seattle area because the main kind of music that he plays is uh, 1930s style swing music. He also is a great piano player and um, band leader from around here. And he has a trio called the Blue Four Trio. Uh, and they do that sort of 30s swing style music is their deal. And uh, so sometimes I play play gigs with him in that setting. And so we were just talking one time as uh, musicians will do when they get together, talking about music and uh, kinds of music that we like and stuff. And he was just telling me that he had always really liked the Hoppa Howley style music, which, like you say, is a kind of a weird little offshoot of swing music. In the 1930s, there was the main uh, instigator, I guess, or the main songwriter of that style was a guy named Johnny Noble, who lived in Hawaii and, uh, you know, was a, a mainlander. He wasn't Hawaiian. And um, he wrote a lot of the songs which used, you know, the swing music uh, style with Hawaiian themes, you know, lyrics about Hawaii. And then also he would include, you know, maybe some ukulele or some Hawaiian slide guitar, you know, along with the orchestral uh, swing music background. So he sort of was a big um, mover and shaker in that style. And so Casey was telling me that he really liked that stuff and that he someday he'd like to, you know, record some of those tunes. And he said, yeah, I've even got like the songs picked out already. You know, I've got the album sort of in my mind. And this coincided with uh, the delivery to me, like just a couple of weeks before we had this conversation, I got a guitar from the Rayco company, who are uh, friends of mine, and uh, I endorse their guitars. They're, they make beautiful dobros. And I had talked to them a couple of years before that about the idea of making a um, copy or a reproduction of a style of Hawaiian guitar that Gibson made in the 1930s that was a signature model uh, for the performer Roy Smeck. So it was a Roy Smeck Stage Deluxe was the name of the guitar model made by Gibson. And I happened to, I have a friend uh, here in town who's a vintage guitar dealer who, when I was speaking with uh, Mark at Rayco, uh, he was down here to do... uh, we have a big bluegrass festival here in the winter called Wintergrass. Oh, yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah and the Rayco fellows usually have a booth there. So they happen to be down here right when this conversation was going on. And I borrowed from my, my vintage guitar dealer friend, happened to have one of those original Gibson stage deluxes uh, in his hands at the time. So I borrowed it and took it and showed it to mark and uh, his people there at Rayco and they were instantly sort of all over it with tape measures and <laughs> cameras and looking it all over and and everything and then we didn't talk about it for like you know like a couple of years went by you know we kind of talked at the time about how you know I'd like it to be and so on and so forth but then you know kind of fell off the radar and they just they kind of went ahead and made it for me and they brought it down uh, at one of the Wintergrass festivals and had it for me. And it was a beautiful, beautiful guitar. And I had just gotten that uh, a couple of weeks before Casey and I had this conversation. And I thought, man, 
that is like what this guitar is made to play. That's what it's made for, is yeah, that kind of music. Yeah. So I told Casey, I said, well, man, why don't we just make that record? And we could do it mostly, uh, you know, because, you know, we didn't have a lot of money to do it. But I have a little recording set up at my house, Pro Tools rig and, you know, a few okay. nice microphones. And so I said, well, let's just do it at my house. And so we did it over a period of time. It took us about a year to get it all recorded. And mostly, most of the record is, uh, you know, most of the instrumentation really is just the Resonator Uke and the Rayco Stage Deluxe guitar. I added uh, some rhythm guitars on a few cuts, and we had a friend of ours, Matt Weiner, play acoustic bass on, I think, maybe four songs. But really, the, the meat of the instrumentation is really the rhythm Uke and uh, the Rayco Hawaiian guitar, and then KC singing. Wow. And you did all this, you say, out of your house, too? Yeah. That's cool. That is very cool. It sounds it sounds incredible. Oh, great. Thank you. Yeah, I was, uh, I was excited, because actually that is the first, that's the first CD that I actually did everything, you know, at my house. Like, I recorded it, mixed it. I took it uh, to a I had it, you know, properly mastered, but yeah. I did all the recording and mixing at my house. Like I'd done other, you know, recordings at my house where I would uh, record maybe my parts for something and then take it somewhere else to mix it, you know, take it to a proper studio to mix it. But, but that Hawaiian album is the first one that I did from start to finish just here in my little nook. That's hey, I can I can appreciate that. I'm doing the same thing here in mine. You know, I've got a little room and and uh, it's like practicing a new instrument. You know, you just gotta. I, for me, you know, I love it. I love getting in there and recording it, but just trying to hear everything and and uh, mix it and listening to it in the truck and and everything you can to to see. I it I'm blown away, man. That that I I thought for sure you did that in a in a big studio or something. You know. No, I'm proud of it. I think it, I think it came out nice. Nice. Now that guitar, I I didn't ask you about this, but do you have mm -hmm. that with you? I mean, can you? Yeah, I have it here. I wanted to. <clears throat> excuse me. I thought you might want to see it. Yeah. So let yeah. me let me see if I can get this in the shot here. I don't get the whole thing in here, but oh, so it's an. Oh wow. So yeah, what it essentially is is like a jumbo. Oh, it's ringing. Uh, a jumbo acoustic guitar with a square neck, like a dobro neck, mm -hmm. on it. And the thing about uh, what uh, Mark did for me with this guitar that was really beautiful is um, on the original uh, Gibson version of this guitar, although it was made, you know, for Hawaiian playing, you know, mm -hmm. to be played lap style, they didn't actually put a real square neck on those guitars. What they did was they just took a, a neck blank um, for a regular guitar and didn't shave it down. So it was just like a real thick sort of round neck. If you ever see any of the original versions of um, those 30s Gibsons. Uh, so they're... You know, they're not really a square-necked guitar. It's just kind of a big, thick guitar neck. And so to support, and I kind of wanted it to, to be able to have it in dobro tuning a lot of the time because I like playing in open G with the high bass, you know, the thicker thicker strings tuned up kind of tight. So it's yeah. a lot of tension. And that that's uh, GBD, GBD. You're talking from your lowest to your highest. 
Right, exactly. Okay. Yeah. And so with those low notes tuned up that high, that puts a lot of tension on the neck. And so, for instance, on the original, when I had that original one borrowed from my guitar dealer friend, I couldn't even put that into this uh, tuning. Uh, because, well, for one thing, the tuners were the original tuners and they were so <laughs> old and, you know, they really didn't, that low G really didn't want to go up there. And uh, so what Mark did, he put like a real, a really nice, you know, sculpted modern type, you know, square dobro neck on this guitar. Yeah. And so it easily uh, handles the tension of this tuning. It sounds beautiful tuned low too. You know, I mean, sometimes I tune it down to D or C even, uh, and it, it sounds fantastic. Yeah. You know, can you, can tuning. you play just a little strum just to give it? Cause yeah. for some of the people that's listening on the podcast, I know that they can't see, you know what it is, but I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Well, let me try. In fact, just, this might be an opportunity for, let me, let me see if I can switch my camera so I can give you a better view. Can I just, Sure. If I do that, will it just show up? I guess we'll have to experiment. So let me switch to that other camera. So okay. you see my shirt. Okay. <laughs> I see your shirt. <laughs> That's good. So, oh, no, it's not. Is that? I'm just seeing a frozen picture. Is that? Yeah, it might, have, it might have locked up. I'm not sure. Let's... <laughs> the, uh, the uh, joys of technology here. Yeah, so should I switch back to my other camera? Yeah, maybe switch back and you know what you could do is uh I don't you could either move your camera, grab it and, and Well, I can uh, try. It's built into my computer, oh. so I kind of try to turn it down a little bit, but it only goes so far. You could back so. up too. That I don't know if you have any room behind you. Oh, that's an idea. I do have room. So, let me try that. Let me back up a little bit and see if that Gets it. Oh, that gets it in there a little bit, doesn't it? Hey, let me. Yeah. Yeah. Let me just describe this, you know, to people who might be driving around listening to this podcast. It basically looks like a regular, like a dreadnought guitar. Uh, it looks like it has a really thick, thick body to it, a wide, wide body. Yeah. It's very, very deep body. Uh, deep it's, body. Uh, yeah, deeper than a D28. It's probably, probably four inches at least. Uh, it's pretty deep body. Yeah, yeah. And um, as far as the wood, I can't remember if you mentioned this before or not. We might be... No, what, I didn't. What kind of wood is that? Uh, it's a rosewood back and sides, Indian rosewood, and Adirondack spruce top. Nice. And then a mahogany neck, square neck. Nice. <laughs> cool that is really cool yeah it's a beautiful tone you know and it's different the thing about it um it's different from like the sound of a weisenborn you know which is also a you know wooden acoustic guitar without a resonator mm -hmm. and uh but there's something you know there's still a difference in the tone 
uh, between this type of Hawaiian guitar and the Weizenborn, which is, you know, another beautiful sounding uh, type of instrument. Yeah, I'm sure that I, I found with my Weizenborn that um, it sounds great, but uh, it's pretty quiet. I don't know how that would yeah. uh, compare to that one. I mean, is that, I can't really tell, you know, over the computer, but I mean, is it comparably to a Weizenborn, would you say it's louder? Well, yes, it's it's louder, but it's still, um, you know, if you play it with a bunch of instruments, you know, it gets buried. You know, you'd still, you'd wish you had your dobro there <laughs> if you were playing with, you know, four or five instruments. But for something like that, what Casey and I were doing, where really the only, the, the instrumentation was really just the strumming ukulele and this guitar, I mean, it sounds great for that, you know, it totally has enough volume and cut you know for that type of thing sure sure yeah that's different it's 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 uh that that style of of hawaiian music like you were saying that that would be more from like when did when do you think it it changed from more of the style like say and use an acoustic guitar like that than to the real smooth lap steel kind of sounds Oh, that would be more towards the, the lap steel started coming in towards the late thirties and the really the forties, because okay. that's really when electric guitars of all types, you know, the regular electric guitar and the electric lap steel really became a, you know, totally ubiquitous thing, you know, they're everywhere and kind of put the, put the acoustic slide guitars out of business for a few years. <laughs> <laughs> Now, have you tried other tunings with that? That does it does it ring out in like an open D tuning, real nice? Oh yeah, it sounds beautiful tuned low because you you would as you would imagine you know with this big acoustic body you know deep body like that you know if I tune it to D and like I say sometimes I even tune it down to C Ooh. something like that and it just sounds huge. Yeah, you know? I bet. But you know it sounds great in this dobro tuning. I think I like it. <laughs> Nice. Well, uh, now that you got that on your lap, I don't know if you'd want to play that or Dobro, or I'd leave it up to you. Um, do you have a song that maybe you could play for us? Well, let me, you know, we talked about maybe playing that tune, uh, The Water is Wide, which is a beautiful, just a beautiful traditional tune. Sure. I think I'd rather play that on my Dobro, which I have right here. Let me grab that. and I'll play that for you. Yeah, yeah. And I'll use my, this is my Guernsey Dobro. This is the one that I play a lot. Guernsey, nice. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'll play the waters wide for you. Thank you. 
Nice, nice. That is that is beautiful. Great arrangement too. It's it's very oh, unique. Thanks. Yeah, and I just want to mention too. Um, I'm going to try my hand at transcribing that right right now. That's a that's a future thing. But uh, um, just like with Alan's uh, tabs, um, I'm making these available on my other site, onlinelessonvideos.com. So Orville will have a little little section there, and and anytime. You want to, Orville, just let me know, and you can come back and, and uh, play some more tunes. Oh, okay, uh, cool. Yeah, man, that's that's very cool. Well, you know, another thing that I've thought about doing in these podcasts, and you'll actually be the first mm. to do this, I know people love little little licks, you know? I don't know if you have any, uh, like, something that's on your mind or this week or, you know, that, that a lick that's kind of jumped out to you as being kind of something unique and cool that you could share with our, our listeners? Oh, yeah, I got an idea for something here. Uh, let me let me play this, and then I'll tell you about it. Let me see if I can play it the way I'm thinking of it. Try that again. Nice. I played it different that time. Um, so what I'm doing, let me just explain that lick to you. The The idea of it was I'm doing a thing with octaves. And this is an idea, actually, if you, you want to know where it came from, is really from Mike Aldridge. I'm sure I learned this uh, when I first learned to play the dobro because, of course, I I learned to play the dobro back in the 1970s and was you know greatly inspired, like a lot of dobro players of my vintage uh <laughs> by mike's playing on those early those first couple of albums that he made in the 1970s the one called dobro and the other one called blues and bluegrass and so one of his things that he would do is play these moving octaves <laughs> So that's what I'm doing on that lick. I'm I'm sliding on the fourth string octave. I'm playing strings one and four. And then just finishing it with a little lick at, at the C fret. Nice. Well, uh, another thing I was, was going to, you know, in addition to the, the licks, you mm -hmm. know, any any sort of advice, musical advice, I mean, with you being on so many albums, producing albums, uh, teaching at all these workshops, I'm sure uh -huh. that just in general, uh, general kind of music advice uh, or to somebody playing that, that you could give to our listeners. Uh, well, let's see, there's, you know, plenty of Plenty of stuff I think about, but uh, as far as uh, just thinking about recording and uh, you know doing that type of thing, I'll, I'll tell you one thing about um, if you have any uh, ambition to be like a session musician or you know recording musician who does a lot of work in studios, um, you not only have to be a really good musician and be able to you know listen to the other people and sort of listen to a tune 
in an analytical way uh, so that you can, you know, figure out a part that fits with the other parts. You know, it's not really all about you. It's kind of about how your part fits with everything else. Uh, so besides having all those skills, you also got to be like a nice guy. Yes, exactly. You have to be like somebody that can get along with people uh, in a small kind of microscopic environment. Because like everything you're doing in there is very, very much under a microscope. And so, you know, you have to have a good attitude in that way. And it's And, you know, it's funny. Um, because you have to balance the whole thing of sort of being self-critical, you know, what you're doing yourself, but then you also have to be able to kind of have the big picture of like what the song is and be able to, as I said, you know, see how you fit into that. And it's helpful, you know, if you're, if you're doing it, if you're, just the session musician playing, I mean, it's really great if you have somebody producing it that knows what they're doing uh, because they will help you with that. You know, they'll help you, you know, hear the whole thing and, and help you find your thing that you have to do. And then as a producer too, because as you mentioned, I produced a bunch of records too. Uh, you know, it's kind of fun to, you know, see the whole thing and help everybody sort of hone their parts. So, so I guess mostly what my advice there comes down to is like, you have to learn how to listen correctly to the other musicians and the tune and, you know, figure out how to make all the parts fit together and make yours fit in there too. And then also you just got to be a guy that, you know, can get along with everybody else and the everybody would like to kind of be in the same room with you for a few hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think Charlie, Charlie Hayden, I don't know his exact quote, but something about, you know, being a good musician, this is a paraphrase, you know, yeah. uh, you got to be a good person first and then, and then yeah. <laughs> good musician, you know, but yeah, yeah that's helpful. I, yeah. Yeah. And people will call you back for gigs and stuff. If you're, if you're a, a you know, they like to be around you. So I'm sure that people love yeah. to be around you. If you've, done everything you've done and i know from your classes too that there's some i, I loved your classes down at rezo summit um mm -hmm. down in nashville if you guys uh don't know anything about that check it out it's it sells out every year and and i think there's about 100 students that they allow to to go there but orville yeah you've have you taught at every one of these so far no i missed the uh i was not at the first two i've been at all the other ones so i think so i think i've done it either seven or eight times because i think we're up to about 10 years wow and uh so yeah i've done it seven or eight times and uh actually just this last year uh the 2015 version they uh expanded the number of students a little bit i guess i guess we're doing okay because this year they allowed in i think 115 Ooh. students so nice. they kind of pushed that up a little bit and then also almost half of the students i think 47 or 49 of the students were new so which bodes well for uh having a future oh yeah besides you know it's good to have a lot of students that come back but it's also kind of important to have like a lot of new students coming in to sort of keep the energy kind of pushing forward nice nice now what other workshops do you do do you still do the puget sound 
workshop? I do the yeah, I do the Puget Sound guitar workshop, and uh, I also usually do uh, the Port Townsend Acoustic Blues workshop, okay. which takes place up in Port Townsend, Washington. And then I've also done lots of other ones. I've done the Euro Blues uh, camp in England a couple times. Done several workshops in Canada. Now, which one's in camp? Is that the one? Because I did one one time, the Camp mm-hmm. Ho He Hum. Did you ever do that one? The- yes, I, I just actually, I just did that this past year right outside of Edmonton. Yep, yep. That's the one, yeah. Yeah, that's a cool one. Very, very nice people and, and just the scenery and everything there is incredible. Oh, yeah, that was fun. And I've also done the one that's up in Sorrento a couple okay. of times. And that's a that's a pretty big one, I think. In fact, that one's two weeks long and they have enough students that they can fill up two sessions of it they have two different you know rosters of teachers uh for the two week-long sessions but they actually run two two weeks of it oh wow and before uh, i forget too um in when when is it is it next week i guess you know depending on when we're going to air this this uh this podcast but basically you're going to be in uh at, at the NAM show in Anaheim, right? Right. Yeah. We're, uh, yeah, we're doing this just the week before the NAM show in January. So yeah, I'll be down there and I'm going to be, uh, uh, working in the, as an artist at the Rayco booth. I think it might be their first time at the NAM show. Okay. And, uh, so I'm kind of looking forward to that because I've had a lot of friends over the years that do the NAM show, you know, friends, uh, like at the national booth, my friends, Mike Dowling and, Steve James and other folks I know are often there repping for them. And I know some of the, some friends of mine go down and play for the Santa Cruz guitar, acoustic guitar booths and stuff. And I know Paul, Paul Beard will be there and, uh, you know, so it should be, should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. Now, did you say, I couldn't remember, did you say that you had been to the NAM show in Anaheim before? Or? No, I haven't. This okay. will be my first time. This will be your time. first time. Yeah, I've never yeah. been either, but I, I went to the one in Nashville once, and uh, they say that the one in Anaheim is just massive. I mean, the one in Nashville was pretty big, but I can't, I, you're going you're gonna to have a blast if you're <laughs> walking around there. I'm sure it's, they say it's just a, it's a circus, just people on every every little corner playing you know, ridiculous virtuosos, you know, everywhere you see. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I love those Rayco uh, guitars too. They make, have some of the best wood out there. They're, you know, their flame and quilted maple tops are gorgeous. Oh yeah. That's one of their, I mean, besides the fact that, you know, their guitars sound good. Yeah. Uh, I think that, uh, yeah, their, you know, sort of cosmetic stuff that they do is really, really beautiful. The finishes and, the wood and the colors and the way they do all that, you know, and the guys that, that started the Rayco company, they, um, learned their guitar building trade. They both, uh, Mark and Jason who started the company worked for several years for Larave guitars in Canada, making, you know, beautiful high end acoustic guitars and, you know, learned all their, their skills, you know, through that and then applied it to Dobro's because Mark, the bow is a very fine dobro player himself and you know just was interested in in building them after spending years building regular guitars yeah yeah that's amazing well cool well uh i think we're about wrapping it up i gotta gotta jump off here but uh okay. i really wanted to thank orville one more time for for joining me on this podcast i know a lot of people 
um, are going to love hearing about you and hearing hearing you know a little about your your stories. Now, let me tell you again his website for all you guys. I highly suggest this uh, Hawaii of My Dreams. That's his latest album, and I, and I know it's on CD, baby. But all this info is actually on his website too, right? Oh yeah, it's all there, and I think all of all of my stuff is available on the downloading places too, you know, iTunes and Amazon, everywhere else. So yeah, you can get actual CDs if you still subscribe to that outmoded uh, method of music delivery. We have those, but it's all, you know, you can you can just instantly have it five minutes from now too if you want to download it. Yeah, yeah, but, and I highly recommend it. Great, great stuff. And his website's Orville johnson.com and you can check yes. it out there cool or- orville hopefully uh, let me know if you ever want to do this again and and i really appreciate you doing this thanks so much great well thanks for asking me troy i appreciate it okay man take care all right we'll see you hey everybody thanks again for listening to this episode of lessons with troy the podcast once again if you're interested in learning more about dobro aka resonator guitar lap steel wisenborn and pedal steel be sure to check out my website lessonswithtroy.com and if you want to learn songs that you've heard on this podcast be sure to check out onlinelessonvideos.com that's where i'm going to be posting the tablature and mp3 tracks so once again thank you and we'll see you on the next one